Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, the fall will be here before you know it, and the temperatures will start to drop and get a little bit cooler. So swing on by Leon Tailoring to get you something warm that will not burn a hole in your pocket. Maybe it's a nice little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a heavier blouse or skirt, or no matter what it is, maybe a nice sweater. No matter what it is, you can get it at Leon Tailoring. You can get it ready-made or custom-made or tailor-made. Just go on in, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you, and they'll be happy to do it as well. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Determined by things like their zip code, their the skin of their color, the color of their skin, as well as also their socioeconomic standing. The achievement gap between African American students and their non-black peers has been a problem in Indiana for generations. COVID-19 made this even worse. Now we are challenged to not only bring African American students and students of color back to the level that they were um, pre-pandemic but also elevate them to the same level as white peers, emphasizing the importance of educational achievement while not just helping our kids in the classroom, but also opening doors for them professionally, making sure that they have opportunities post high school to go on to successful careers. When Indiana's workforce is more educated and highly trained, all Hoosiers will benefit. Several of our bills this session aim to improve schools throughout the state and create more pathways to higher education. House Bill 1499, which I filed, and Senate Bill 435, which Senator Melton filed, are aimed at making automatic qualification for 21st century scholars program for our students. I'm sure I'm not the only one of our reps and senators that have had people approach them and say, hey, my, my child is going to college. Do you have any thoughts on how they can advance and, and pay for college? And 21st century scholars is one of the first things I say, but unfortunately, a lot of times, the parent doesn't know about it, the child doesn't know about it, and by the time we have the conversation, it's too late. So we wanna make this an automatic enrollment so that students are automatically enrolled, it's already set in place, and we don't have to worry, or they don't have to worry about that it's too late and this educational uh, funding option is available. We also know that roughly 81% of students that go into the program enroll into college and university um, despite being more likely to live in poverty, however, African-American students and students of color are not proportionately represented in the program. So automatic enrollment will help. Um, it takes more than scholarship to help students succeed. Through House Bill 1571, authored by Representative Robin Shackelford, this creates Reading Specialist Certification Fund. This allows teachers to apply for a grant for the purpose of obtaining a science-based Reading Specialist Certification. Setting our students up for success means that the people that educate them need to be set up for success and be able to provide the best education possible. We also have House Bill 1153, which establishes a division of educational opportunity and academic success to assess cultural competency in public schools. This is authored by Representative Porter. Um, every year, colleges and universities will be assessed to determine how they prepare future educators to be able to effectively teach and communicate to children throughout multiple backgrounds. Uh, Senate Bill 231, authored by Senator Andrea Hundley, means that eligible school corporations will elect to participate in federal community eligible provision to provide universal free school breakfast and lunch to all students. We know that a hungry student is not going to be a successful student. So if our students have food on the plate, in their belly, they were more likely to be able to focus and study and achieve when it comes to their education. By closing the achievement gap, we would also address issues pertaining to public health and public safety. 
when people have the opportunity to go to college and obtain a high-wage job, they're more likely to have success or adequate health care and healthy foods. Furthermore, when people's needs are met, they're less likely also to commit crime. If we invest in remedying the achievement gap now, all Hoosiers will feel the return on the investment in years to come. Everyone talks about wanting to not leave behind, everyone talks about wanting to make sure that we leave behind a better community, a better state, a better nation. The IBLC 2023 legislative agenda is our chance to do that. By enhancing education in our state, working to close the achievement gap, that prevents many students from achieving uh, student gap. That will make sure that all students are able to achieve their full potential, and we will ultimately boost the Indiana workforce and create a better quality of life for everyone. We're excited about our agenda. We are looking forward to working with our constituents and the rest of the legislature and the governor to get these passed, and we'll be happy to answer any questions. Uh, 21st Century Scholars is also on the governor's agenda this year, although sometimes it feels like your bills don't have much more success than these bills do in this legislature. But is the fact that the governor's coming around to an idea that you've been pitching for a while encouraging to you in terms of Republicans in general coming around to that idea? It, you know, one of the things I like to say is it's always easier for a group to push the rock up the hill than an individual. So having the governor obviously on board with this is great. Um, Chris Lowry coming in as the new commissioner over higher ed. We actually had a conversation over the summer in the parking lot, literally saw each other in the parking lot here at the State House when I was here for a meeting. And so we know that there's a big push going on. Uh, and again, as we've talked about, we need more people that are educated, trained, etc. So more people are getting involved and know that 21st Century Scholars is a value. I, I also think when we, when we talk about the 21st Century Scholars program, it, it, it is, it's, it's an opportunity gap, but it's an achievement gap also. So it's an opportunity for us, for them to go ahead and say, I'm not going to enroll an individual, which, we, which we've been talking about for over a decade now, to be quite honest, because that does adjust, address the achievement gap. And it seems that right now, since there's a big push uh, for uh, the Division of Workforce Development and uh, other groups like that to move people in, in, into the sector, the, the opportunity gap and achievement gap, you cannot separate those two. They need to go together. And with that, we, I think we will be, may be able to have a, a better work, workforce uh, and a better pipeline for the state of Indiana. You mentioned the gap in between um, black students and the rest of the population when it comes to 21st century scholars enrollment. I'm wondering if you're aware of any particular counties or school districts or regions where that seems to be uh, most evident. Um, can't give any specific in terms of this, that, and the other, in terms of the specific ones. But we know that that's the case. We also know that, as, as pointed out, 21st century scholars means success. Uh, Dr. Rashan at Indiana uh, State, or Southern Indiana, ISU, I, I want to say he told me they're almost at 100% graduation rate for their 21st century scholar students. So we know it's a successful program. We want to grow it. I, I told the story. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person that has that situation where someone just asked them, how do, you, how do I find funding for my, my child? 21st century scholars, if they sign up, well, they didn't, and it's too late because they didn't know about it. So we want to make this automatic, make sure that we have people who are ready to go and can continue their education post high school. And we know that funding is a big part of that. Um, Representative Pryor, when you answer, if you wouldn't mind moving towards the microphones too, um, on the housing, um, uh, the discrimination in housing uh, bill that you've been carrying, 
So this was something that came up obviously in the housing task force this summer. Um, there's the big housing bill, 1005. How, because of that sort of holistic conversation that's been had, do you find that, or do you think you'll have a little more success pushing your bill because it's part of this larger conversation? <coughs> yeah, if you want. Um, well, we did have a conversation about discrimination and appraisals as it relates to uh, housing during the uh, housing task force. And it's certainly my hope that um, that the legislature this will do something about it. Housing is going to be a big issue this session. Um, we know that um, there is discrimination and appraisals, uh, either being appraised extremely low um, or being appraised too high and making a person even ineligible to get a, uh, a loan. So um, I think there's opportunities there. Um, I, I would have hoped that um, my legislation would have been a part of the housing task force though, um, because I think it's, it's critical enough to, uh, to the community to have been a part of that conversation. When it comes to um, funding for education, and you guys were mentioning equality, a lot of the charter schools are saying the same thing, that they want equality for their children because they get less dollars than at a traditional school. What would be your response to parents and those charter schools who would want more money being taken from traditional schools? Not being, we're not anti-charter, but traditional public schools are the dominant educator in our, in our lives. And so we want to make sure that they do not, they are not lessened. There's some legislation that we've had some concerns over. Um, one of the things that we know has happened in terms of referendum, uh, there was a bill that did not pass last session that would have made it, I believe, mandatory, but there was a bill that passed before where if I, as a traditional public school, do a referendum and say I need $10 million, just going to use that as a generic number, and the charter schools can come to, and this is what we talked about, we, didn't want, we don't want this to happen, where a charter school or schools in that district, in the public school district, traditional public school district, come and say, hey, we need $2 million a piece. If not, we will go and we, will, we, can, we can campaign against your, what you're trying to do. Well, that additional adds on to what the public, so that $10 million the traditional public needs becomes $14 million or, two, or $12 million, whatever it is. That adds on to what the taxpayers have to pay. So, you know, maybe one of the things we need to look at as a legislature is allow charter schools, because right now they're not allowed to, allow them to be able to do referendums on their own. So it doesn't chop into the money that the public school, the traditional public school is going after, and it doesn't increase it and then put more burden on our communities. I think um, it's also important to keep in mind that there are a lot of restrictions that traditional schools have that charter schools do not as well. So that is also something to keep in mind and that um, that makes it more difficult for the traditional schools as well. And how do you guys plan to work with uh, the super majority? <laughs> well, personally, I was like, in collaboration as usual. Yeah, I mean, it, relationships equal resources. And so it's all about having relationships in place. I mean, members of the IBLC are all Democrats. It doesn't mean that you have to be a Democrat to be a member of IBLC. It just happens to work out that way. So we know what the map is. We know what the numbers are. But we've been able to get legislation passed based on those relationships so that Republicans know and understand and support us and help us in terms of getting things 
pass. You know, when you look at the IBLC agenda, we are the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus. Our agenda, if you look at it, will help everyone. 21st century's scholarships help everyone. Teacher support, financial support, public health, all of this helps everyone. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Latino, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, does not matter. Our agenda helps everyone that lives here in the state of Indiana. What legislation are you keeping an eye on that concerns the caucus? Well, you know, we everyone has their um, committees that they work on, and so obviously besides our agenda, uh, everyone will focus on different things based on their uh, committee. So we want to make sure that education obviously is a big part of this. But you also have to look at health care, look at public health. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we will keep an eye on transportation. On transportation, it's just focusing on everything. Everyone has their. Uh, focus and then we all come together and talk about it and keep an eye on and share actually with the entire caucus about what we need, what we want. Sometimes bills are good, sometimes bills are bad, so it goes both ways on that. Have you as a caucus discussed the, uh, the bail um, resolution? Not as an entire caucus, but we have had some conversation about it. I can't say that we've come out with it, we haven't prepared a public statement, shall we say, um, but we have had some conversation about it and have some thoughts on it that we'll eventually share. Has there been anything so far that has already caused you alarm or excitement, <clears throat> bill-wise? Well, you know, we are, one of the things we do is we set up meetings with leadership, uh, the four leaders of the four caucuses and the governor. And so we will continue to push those items on our agenda uh, to see how they play. We have, there's other people that have similar legislation as ours. So again, understanding the map, sometimes maybe it's not one of us that is the primary author on a bill, but there's other bills that relate to what we are working on or are similar to what we are working on that get across. So we'll push with leadership, we'll push with the governor, we also have a meeting with him. We'll continue to push uh, and things that we believe are good and obviously also stop things and work on things that are not uh, good for us. You know, there's a lot of talk obviously about critical race theory, uh, which is not something, that's one of those to me kind of, not really an issue, but has become an issue. Um, so we'll make sure we stay on top of that as well. And there's one that we are paying attention to. It is setting up the structure for if we legalize marijuana. That is one of those bills that we're having discussion about because as we're setting up that structure, we want to make sure that the IBLC's equity piece is in there. So there's about 10 things in there that we've written our one pager that when we set that up, we want to make sure that our people are getting some of those contracts making sure that everything is a level playing field. So that's one of the bills we'll be keeping an eye on. And also in terms of incarceration, uh, people that have been incarcerated, if it becomes legal in Indiana, letting people free uh, that were incarcerated for it. Is this feeling like the year that some level of legalization will happen with marijuana? Maybe not full way, but something will happen? Hi, look. You know, it's, it, there's always what I like to call the long game. So as much as you, you know, people want their legislation to pass within a year or two, um, you know, Indiana is still a conservative state. So I, I personally, I believe it will happen at some point. I'm not sure if it will happen this year, but I believe eventually it will happen. You have time for one more question? I, I, I think that also when we look at everything, we, this is a budget year. And what does that budget year mean for us? And how we are as a caucus, our issues that, that will be resonated within that budget. And so uh, that's something we, we, we're going to continue. We're talking about equity as a caucus. And we will continue to advocate for equity. We, would, we don't want to be 
in, in mode of um, talking about di equity, diversity, inclusion, or the, the or the illusion of being included in, within that budget. We're going to continue to, 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 to look for uh, more dollars going toward healthcare, sickle cell, minority health coalition, because that's about equity in regards to our healthcare and equity in education. That's very important to us. Bottom line. So that's where our caucus will be. That's our discussions we've had over the summer on how we will implement those dollars or be, have a, a role in getting those dollars to individuals. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Nice job. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.